What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Martian MMA Podcast. I'm your host, and my name is John. And this week, we will be analyzing and predicting the 13 fights going down this Saturday night from Sunrise, Florida, headlined by Jacare Souza versus Jack Hermanson. Towards the end of the podcast, we will also be recapping the UFC St. Petersburg card that went down this past Saturday. But starting things off, we will be breaking down each and every one of the 13 fights going down on ESPN. Two ESPN regular and ESPN Plus. They made it real easy for us fans, just like the UFC always does. Around 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time, we will be kicking things off with three fights on ESPN2, then moving to ESPN at 7 p.m. for four fights, and then moving to ESPN Plus for six fights, kicking off at 9 p.m. Eastern. So going to be doing a lot of channel changes throughout the program but that's never stopped us UFC fans before and it won't stop us this time so we're going to start things off in the welterweight division we got Court McGee who is 19 and 7 taking on Diego Lima who is 13 and 7 and the opening betting line for this one was Court McGee minus 185 Diego Lima plus 145 looking over at our affiliated sportsbook five dimes right now the line's almost identical Court McGee minus 165 to Lima at plus 145 so like I said line staying almost the same in this one it's a it's a close matchup but I would definitely agree with Court McGee being the favorite although Diego Lima did probably have the best performance of his career in his last fight when he knocked out Chad LaPreece with that uh, left hook that you know sent the priest to the canvas, one shot knockout, walk off KO, uh, really impressive per- uh, performance from Lima in that fight. But I just think that that might be a little bit of an anomaly in his career. You know, I think he's been a pretty average fighter throughout most of his career. He got back in the UFC from the Ultimate Fighter, and now he's uh, you know kind of chugging along. He had a tough fight against Yushin Okami where he was taken down a lot in that fight. Uh, taken down off his leg kicks, taken down when he was overextending his punches on his combinations. And Yushin Okami really uh, implicated a super grappling-heavy game plan and beat uh, Diego Lima very decisively in their fight uh, just uh, about a year ago. So so you got to think that Court McGee will try to implicate the same type of wrestling game plan to beat Lima in this fight this weekend. McGee can hit a, an offensive takedown of his own. He does have a little bit of inexperience with the, I wouldn't say inexperience, but just recklessness on the ground. You know, when Alex Garcia was pushing him up against the cage, he tried to do two judo throws to try to uh, shuck Garcia off of him, but it actually exposed his back in that in that moment. It was a pretty dangerous uh, moment in that fight, so... You know, I wouldn't be too sure that McGee is going to flawlessly execute a grappling game plan as easily as Yushin Okami did. I think that uh, Court McGee has good scrambles. You know, he can stuff a takedown. He has, you know, just good wrestling overall. And his striking is pretty good as well. You know, he was able to drop Alex Garcia with a jab in their most recent fight. Um, you know, he did, uh, he did have some trouble with Sean Strickland uh, pretty recently where he was, you know, taken down. Uh, off a leg kick in that fight but leg kicks are a big part of his game plan so you know sometimes you're going to get taken down off of them and you know he uh, just struggled to get off his back in that fight against Sean Strickland and was just you know a step behind that entire fight but picked up a nice decision victory over Alex Garcia in his last fight so both these guys are coming off a win I think it should be a good fight Uh, you know I hope that Diego Lima has worked on his takedown defense a lot and then it could be a pretty competitive fight on the feet where I actually think Lima might have a chance at winning this fight via decision or possibly sparking uh, McGee like he did Chad LaPreece 
But if the grappling starts going in, in favor of, of Court McGee, I expect him to grind out a decision, you know, against the cage, working them takedowns, you know, mixing up his striking with his takedowns and winning this fight maybe 29-20 in the scorecard. So I slightly lean uh, in the d direction of Court McGee. So next fight in the women's strawweight division, we have Angela Hill, who is eight and six, taking on Jody Esquibel, who is six and four. The opening betting line for this one was Angela Hill, the minus two ten favorite to Jody Esquibel at plus one sixty. Right now, over on five dimes, we are seeing Angela Hill minus five eighty to Jody Esquibel at plus one four forty. Let me repeat that. Angela Hill is minus 580 versus Jody Esquibel, who is plus 440. So even though she opened as a 2-1 to one, uh, favorite, Angela Hill now sits at almost 6-1 to one over Jody Esquibel in this fight. Now, it is a great matchup for Angela Hill. You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Angela Hill. Uh, you have been for a while. She took this fight on short notice. You know, she got had a... Had a uh, pretty big setback in the last fight. Random Marcos just got dominated in that fight, taken down, held down, and tapped out by Marcos in one round with that armbar. One of Marcos's best performance of her career, but still, Hill, uh, you know, she knew it was coming. She knew that Marcos was trying to grapple with her, but she could not stop that attack. And you know, with how short that fight was, you know, it's pretty hard to make any improvements from that from the time of that last fight until now. But she's not really fighting a grappler in this fight at all. Jody Escobar is actually a former boxer. She uh, and she really has not adapted her game to MMA well at all. She's got bad footwork. She. She, even her boxing is not very good at all. She leans into combos and puts her head in, you know, dangerous spots. And she doesn't have much experience in the clinch. You know, the Muay Thai clinch is not something that's very popular in boxing. <laughs> so, you know, she's she's uncomfortable in that clinch. And she was actually supposed to fight Angela Hill's teammate, Jessica Penne, in this one. And I thought Penne is, you know, an expert at the clinch in terms of women women's MMA. So I thought that uh, Penny would be winning that fight all day in the clinch, just you know, kneeing, kneeing Escobar to the body, and just keeping her in that clinch and maybe take, uh, putting her on her back. Because, like I said, Escobar has not adapted her MMA game well at all. Her, her, she's primarily striking. She doesn't stuff a takedown well. She doesn't move well. She's you know a very very low level fighter, and her six and four record speaks for that. So Angela Hill, even though she's coming off of a pretty bad loss. She, you know, might not have been 100% in shape for this fight. She knew what kind of opponent she was up against. She knew it's an easy win. She knows it's a, a very easy style matchup for her. And Angela Hill, you know, should go out here and win it with her kickboxing. Angela Hill's got, um, you know, very good kickboxing, good output. Um, she can clinch herself pretty well. Definitely got a, a Muay Thai base where she throws knees, kicks, elbows. Um, and she, she never stops coming forward. So she's going to be constantly in Escobar's face. And I think that she'll just be landing the more diverse offensive attack, mixing it up with leg kicks, uh, head kicks, uh, working that clinch, getting the knees, elbows, and, uh, of course, her punches as well. So I think that uh, Angela Hill will win this fight very decisively. And the 6-1 to one favorite line speaks volumes to that. But, you know, the people who are laying chalk on Angela Hill, man, check yourself into rehab because... You know, that this is just not the spot to lay that chalk. So next fight is in the lightweight division. We got Jim Miller, who is 29 and 13, taking on Jason Gonzalez, who is 11 and 4. The opening betting line for this one was 
Jim Miller, the minus 155 favorite to Jason Gonzalez at plus 115. Right now, over on our affiliated sportsbook, fivedimes.eu, we see Jim Miller minus 142, Gonzalez at plus 120. So line margins tightening up. Two-way action coming in on this fight. Uh, you know, this is a great fight on paper. You got a, a very experienced veteran in Jim Miller who, although he is up there in age and he's got, you know, 40 Zufa fights or something like that. He's still, you know, I'd say I wouldn't say a, a fresh fighter, but he's still got some very legitimate skills behind him. And you saw that most recently in the Alex White fight. You know, Alex White came into that fight the favorite, and uh, Jim Miller landed that straight left uh, down the pipes, broke his nose, took the back, and choked uh, Alex White out in that fight. He's got, you know, Jim Miller's got great fundamentals. Uh, his his jujitsu is really good. He's a black belt in jujitsu. He's got good back takes. He can attack off of his back, and his boxing fundamentals are great as well. That, like I mentioned, that straight left hand that he clipped um, Alex White with, and he's had competitive fights with Dustin Poirier, not even a, a two years ago or something like that. So. Jim Miller is, you know, although he is declining, he's fighting that Lyme's disease. He's, you know, he's definitely uh, had a, his fair share of setbacks in his career. Uh, he's still a very dangerous opponent, and you know, he's taken on a very dangerous opponent of his own in Jason Gonzalez. Gonzalez has, you know, struggled with activity a little bit. He's only had, um, you know, his most recent fight was against Gregor Gillespie in September of 2017. So, you know, almost two years away from the uh, from the octagon, a year and a half. Um, you got to wonder what that is about. I, I do not actually have a reason why he was, he was out. I think, you know, his injuries and whatnot, it wasn't any USADA suspension. But he, uh, you know, had a nice win, a nice choke over J.C. Contrell, being his lone win in the UFC. Set, suffered setbacks with Drew Dober and Gillespie. But I think he gave Gregor Gillespie his, you know, his most competitive fight that he's had in the so, so far. Gillespie is just a relentless pressure fighter with incredible wrestling and you know a ton of power and Gonzalez was willing to trade with him was willing to get in that pocket and swing so he 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 did a good job defending the takedowns as well you know he you know he eventually did get taken down at certain times by Gillespie you know the world class wrestler that Gillespie is but he uh, Gonzalez had his moments where he looked competent uh, defending the takedowns he had you know uh, digging for a wizard or an underhook He's uh, definitely got some some good credentials in the wrestling uh, wrestling realm of things, but uh, you know when he hurts you on the feet, that he gets wild, man. He's when he's willing to trade in that pocket and he's swinging punches. If he thinks that he'll hit you or he hit you clean, he'll get he'll he'll sense it and he'll he'll rush you and he'll get reckless. That's what happened versus Gillespie. When sometimes he would land a good shot on Gregor and then Gregor would you know he, or Gonzalez would swarm in on Gregor and then Gillespie would get that takedown and then he, Gonzalez would get stuck on his back and. Gillespie Gillespie could clear his head for a little bit, and you know that's eventually why why uh, Gillespie was able to uh, um, eventually take uh, Gonzalez down, get the mount, and then get the arm triangle on uh, Gonzalez. But that that was an incredible back and forth fight, man. Gonzalez was game in that fight. He is you know willing. He showed that he's willing to engage in a firefight. He's got uh, you know a good good head kick, man. He hit Gregor with some good head kicks in that fight. He's got good punches. He's uh, confident in, in his chin and his defense because he's willing to trade in that pocket. Not the not the most solid defensively, but uh, you know I think he's got a very good dif uh, a very good diverse uh, striking attack. He can hit you with knees, kicks, punches, all types of stuff. It's gonna be a tough fight for, for both gentlemen. I think it's a really t uh, really close type of fight. You know where the odds are right now. I think it's, it's a pretty much perfect. You know I do give that slight edge to Jim Miller because. 
he's got that experience about him. He's so you know technically sound on the feet and on the ground. It only it only takes you know real specialists. You know guys like Dan Hooker who are incredible strikers, or guys like Charles Oliveira who are incredible incredible grapplers to beat Jim to to beat Jim Miller easily. But you know typical well-rounded martial artists like Dustin Poirier, you know Anthony Pettis. These guys had you know tough fights with Jim Miller pretty recently. So I think that uh you know it's really hard to make a pick in this one. I think it'll be whoever wins this fight will be a twenty. 28 decision although if you look at the fight doesn't go the distance in this one it's minus 260 so i might end up betting fight goes the decision in this one i think that they're both fairly evenly matched you know i think that both uh, you know gonzalez starts fast and he hasn't really gone to the de- hasn't gone to the decision yet in the ufc but i think this will be his first fight where he does i think that he'll be tested this will be an up and down type of fight but i think that jim miller will uh, edge out the scorecards 29 28 in this one but uh, it's a pass in the betting window, and uh, I'd say it's a dogger pass just because, um, you know, Gonzalez could have made massive improvements over the past 18 months. You know, Miller did suffer that uh, quick loss in his last fight, and, uh, you know, I, d- I just wouldn't lay favorite chalk on uh, Jim Miller at this stage in his career, but I am picking him to win this fight. The next fight is also in the lightweight division. We got... Gilbert Burns, who is fourteen and three, taking on Mike Davis, who is seven and one. The opening betting line for this one was Gilbert Burns, the minus two seventy favorite to Mike Davis at plus one ninety. Right now, we are seeing over on five dimes Gilbert Burns minus two fifty five to Mike Davis at plus two fifteen. I agree with where this line is set. Uh, you know, I think Gilbert Burns put on the best performance of his career in his last fight against. Oliver Oben Mercier, you know, he just put on a very well-rounded performance where he showed off his boxing. Hit, you know, he, so we we know that Burns can hit hard for a while. He's knocked a bunch of dudes out. You know, Dan Moret uh, comes to mind as being the most recent one, where he just blitzes you in the pocket and, and he swings. And you know, you thought he was kind of a wild striker, but that fight against OAM revealed that he's he's technical, man. He he has good defense. He can count. He can time counter shots. He can you know. He's really crafty in the pocket. He can slip, you know, he can slip that right hook right over his opponent's left shoulder, and that's what he was hitting OAM with a lot in that fight. He was able to drop OAM with a couple punches in that fight. So not only is boxing, he's got good body kicks. You know, he he's able to blast the double leg. Man, his entries to takedowns are really really high level. You know, Burns is primarily a jujitsu guy. Yeah, that's definitely his base of things. And but you know, and jujitsu guys tend to you know struggle with their takedowns a little bit um, because you know that's just the way things go in the jujitsu community. People who are you know accustomed to starting on the ground, they don't work. They neglect their takedowns a little bit. But man, Gilbert Burns' entries are, are really really good. He can he can chain together takedowns. And he will get you to the mat, and he will keep you there. He will threaten with a submission. He's got good top pressure. He can he can hit you with some ground and pound. He can scramble, and you know all of that was evident in the uh, OAM fight. Just you know, really impressed. I went back and rewatched that fight. And I just I just didn't remember how dominant it was for uh, for Gilbert Burns in that fight. And I think he was an underdog in that fight. So that's really shown what the the price tag uh, behind, that minus two fifty five price tag behind uh, Burns is in this fight. But he's taken on a very legitimate opponent in Mike Davis a guy who was coming off the contender series not fresh off the contender series he actually lost his fight on the contender series last year to Sadiq Youssef 
in uh you know a fairly competitive fight people people claim that that fight was the best fight on you know tuesday night contender series history well i don't know if that's the case but if it is true in your mind then that's a pretty then the 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 tuesday night contender series has produced some pretty weak fights because that wasn't really good, uh, that good of a fight in my mind. I think, you know, Davis was game. He was there to, you know, he was, you know, there to fight. But, man, Sadiq Youssef was just a step ahead of him uh, the entire fight. And, you know, I w I'd like to know if that fight was at 45 or 55 because Sadiq Youssef currently fights at 45 while Mike Davis is taking this fight at 55. So, um, it'll be, uh, let me see if I can find that in the meantime. But, you know, after uh, he had that setback on the Tuesday Night Contender Series, he took a couple fights in Island fights against some uh, some lower level competition, 9-7 and seven record, 3-1 and one record. And then he was able to uh, pick up a couple finishes over them. And now he got the call back into the UFC for this short notice fight versus Gilbert Burns. So, um, that fight was at 45 versus Sadiq Youssef. Man, I have no idea how Mike Davis made 45. I honestly thought he was a lightweight when I watched that fight versus Youssef. And Youssef was the one who dropped down. But, you know, it'll be interesting. Mike Davis at 55, he might be fully hydrated now. He might feel better than ever have, not having to cut that extra 10 pounds. It could be big. But... It's just going to be tough for him to uh, to match up against Gilbert Burns in this one. I think in the in the grappling department, even though Davis uh, does seem to know uh, have some good some decent grappling credentials, you know, he actually got hurt in one of his most recent fights with a spinning kick to the body, and you know he recognized he was hurt. He was took his opponent down. He you know had some good top pressure, and then he comorted him pretty uh, pretty soon afterwards. But, you know, on the feet, man, I'm expecting some wild exchanges in this one. You know, Burns is willing to trade and Davis is really willing to trade. He loves standing in that pocket. He uh, loves, you know, uh, just, just throwing bombs with the hands, man. He, uh, he did get dropped by Youssef with that with the right hand uh, in that fight. So, you know, his... his Look out for his chin to maybe be a, a little bit better at 55. Consider maybe that that 10 pounds of weight cutting was you know draining his chin, or you could take it as that the 45ers are testing that chin of Davis. The 55ers are definitely going to test that chin of Davis. So you could take that either way. Um, you know that's what we were talking about with Holloway. You know I, I was I was concerned about Holloway's. Uh, you know, ability to take shots at 45. You know, he had a great chin at 45, but how would he be able to reflect or uh, react to those shots at 55? It was a lot different. So that's always going to be something to look out for when someone is moving up in weight. But, you know, uh, I, I think that uh, this, as long as this one stays on the feet, it actually will be competitive. I expect some good boxing exchanges. Both of these guys, you know, have, you know, decent head movement and good defense and should be willing to trade in the pocket and, uh, you know, produce some ex exciting exchanges in this one. But if this fight hits the cam, I just think that Gilbert Burns will be, you know, uh, two steps ahead of Mike Davis the entire time. Not one step ahead, uh, two steps ahead. I mean, he's just, there's, it's just a huge, huge difference between these two gentlemen when it comes to the ground. And I think that, uh, you know, Davis's best chance is, you know, stuffing that takedown and trying to hurt uh, Burns with a punch on the feet. While Burns, I think, could win this fight anywhere. I think he could outbox um Mike Davis on the feet, you know, be hitting him with that le that powerful leg kick, that left body kick, you know, and then mixing it up with the punches. Or he can mix in those takedowns and, you know, get some top control, threaten with the submission. I just really expect a dominant performance from Gilbert Burns in this one. I'm not completely counting Mike Davis out. You know, I'm not saying he should be, you know, minus, or, you know, uh, or plus 400 or anything. I think where the odds are are pretty accurate. But uh, I would be very uh, shocked to see uh, Mike Davis win this fight, you know. And if he does get this one done, I expect it to be by knockout. 
on the feet. But um, you know, I'm gonna pick Gilbert Burns to get this one done by third round finish. Don't know if it's a submission or a knockout, but third round finish by for uh, for Gilbert Burns in this fight. Next fight is taking place in the women's strawweight division. We got Carla Esparza, who is 13 and six, taking on Verni Jandradoba, who is 14 and 0. The opening betting line for this one was Carla Esparza as the minus 145 favorite to Jane Dodoba at plus 125. Looking over at our affiliate sportsbook 5dimes.eu, we are seeing Carla Esparza plus 100 to Jane Dodoba at the minus 120 favorite. So the line has flipped. I definitely agree with the line movement in this one. It's just, uh, it's, it is going to be a very close fight because both women are, you know, I'd say primarily grapplers. Uh, I think Jandradova might be the better grappler at this point in her career, while Esparza is the better striker at this point in their career. You know, both of these women are very, very experienced. Uh, Jandradova was the uh, an Invicta champion. She has gone the full five rounds uh, fairly recently, too. She picked up a victory over Mitsuki Inoue uh, in March of 2018. She also picked up a, uh, a nice arm triangle finish over an opponent, uh, Janice Mordrain in uh september of this year that again that fight was scheduled for five rounds so you know jane Dredoba is taking you know actually taking a step down and in, in uh you know I, I would say competition but she's fighting 15 minutes instead of 25 minutes that this time so that that's got to be a huge confidence booster for her she knows that her gas tank is good enough to go for five rounds so she can you know really put her her foot on the gas for this three round fight all right, so let's talk about how this fight will plan out. I, I actually think I have a pretty clear idea of how this fight will, will go. Um, but, you know, of course, I could be wrong. So, Jane Dredoba, her striking is is not very good. She does not throw much offense, but I think that she knows her striking isn't very good. She doesn't try to do more than she can. She's, you know, kind of focused on defense. She's trying to stay at range. She doesn't really engage much. And her, her bread and butter is the takedown, is the top pressure, is the ground and pound, the guard passing, and the submissions. That's Jane Jadoba's world. That's where she's won most of her fights, and that's where she became a world champion over in Invicta. You know, Esparza at one point was also, you know, using her grappling to become a world champion as well. The first women's uh, strawweight champion in the UFC. But, you know, since then, her grappling, I think, has looked a little bit sloppier. I think the division has kind of caught up to her a little bit. Uh, you know, especially in that last fight against Tatiana Suarez, man. You know, she took a, a thrashing from Tatiana Suarez in that last fight. Just taken down and absolutely mauled on the ground by the female Khabib. So, but the good thing about Esparza is that her her, her stand-up has been getting a little better. She, you know, was able to drop um, Car uh, Claudia Gedalia with a punch when they fought recently. She was able to outstrike Cynthia Calvillo to a decision and, you know, had a lot of grappling in that fight as well. But, um, you know, she the one problem with Esparza is that she gets excited on the feet sometimes and she starts running forward and throwing sloppy combos with her feet. You know, her arms set, they're just... It's like a typical, like, you know, women's MMA sequence when you can imagine when someone you think is hurt and they're backing up and the person is just running, throwing punches with, you know, all, you know, all emotion and no technique behind it. As far as it does that constantly, man. So I think that Jander Double will be waiting on the outside, waiting on the outside, trying to stay at kicking range, and then just waiting for Esparza to get impatient and throw one of those sloppy combos. And then Jander Doba is going to duck under, level change, and, and take Esparza down. Now, 
Esparza does have great wrestling. She can scramble really well. You know, Gedalia, Calvillo, neither of those girls were able to hold Esparza down. So, you know, it's going to be tough for Jane Dredoba, but man, I'm, I've just been really impressed with, with Jane Dredoba, man. She, she's, she passes guard. She's active on the ground. She's not looking to stall. She's not looking to, you know, that could be a little bit of a detriment to her in this fight, though, because if she gives Esparza a little bit of room to escape or to, you know, try to hip escape or elbow escape or push off the hip and try to get back to her feet, that could happen in this fight if Jane Dredoba goes for that guard pass or goes to that ground and pound. She really likes using those elbows and that ground and pound so uh, I, I do think the Jane Dredoba will get this fight to the floor it's just a matter of what, how good Esparza can scramble but if Esparza gets stuck on her back man I think that that will be all she wrote I think the Jane Dredoba will punish her on the ground it could be similar to the Tatiana Suarez fight where you know Esparza just stuck on bottom and she's just getting smashed in this one so uh, it would be an impressive performance from Jane Dredoba to come in here on her debut and and you know uh beat the former champion like that and it, you know it might be a little bit hard to lay that favorite money on her uh coming in here with those high expectations of her but anybody who got her at plus 125 you know congratulations to that's that's big money uh or i mean that's a big value right there but even her as minus 120 man my, or wherever the line is right now yeah i think it's minus 120 it's tempting man i really do think ginger double wins this fight uh, the only, you know, circumstances I don't see her winning this fight is if Esparza is able to, you know, th you know, uh, get off of her back. You know, she's able to stuff or scramble out of the takedowns. And then she's able to keep this fight standing and then use her boxing in order to win the rounds in this, in this fight. But, man, Esparza is just not technically sound enough to keep this fight standing the entire time. Jane Dredoba is going to be relentless with that takedown. Even if Esparza scrambles out or stuffs a couple takedowns, Jane Dredoba is going to be chaining together, going to like the double like the body lock the trip you know she's got a huge wrestling arsenal uh, i'm really looking forward to jane Dredoba making her debut and i'm gonna pick her to win this fight by decision next fight is taking place in the heavyweight division we got andre arlovsky who is 27 and 18 taking on augusto sakai who is 12 1 and 1 the opening betting line for this one was Sakai minus 132, Arlovsky minus 110, almost a pick em fight there. But since then, looking over at five dimes, much more action coming in on Sakai, pushing him down to minus 152, Arlovsky up at plus 120. And, uh, you know, I agree with the line movement this one. I'm seeing a lot of people betting on um, Andre Arlovsky at dog money. And that's it's always tempting. I'm telling you, it's always tempting. Andre Arlovsky's probably been the underdog in, you know, his past seven fights or something like that. Actually, with the good old bestfightodds.com, we can tell. Um, so let's see. He was the the underdog against uh, Walt Harris, the underdog against Abdurmanikov, the underdog against Toyavasa, underdog against Struve, against Albini, against Tibura, against Ngannou. Yeah, let's see. Nine fights, ten fights. You're gonna, you'd have to go back to the Frank Mir fight in 2015 to find one fight where Andre Arlovsky was not the underdog. So just people love betting him as underdog. I'm telling you, man. It's just a, it's just a habit. And you know, he did come through and win two of those fights: the Albini fight and the Struve fight. He won the the Tyavusa fight was real close. He's not a totally shot fighter at this point. But if you look at his last fight against Walt Harris, man, that was that was one of his worst performances, I think, lately. Um, 
you know, he has looked pretty bad and, you know, tentative out there. But, man, that Walt Harris fight was bad. He, he just didn't look like he had any aggression. He didn't look like he was comfortable on the feet with, with Walt Harris, who Arlovsky should be levels ahead of on the feet. You know, Arlovsky at one point had a very diverse MMA game where he would, you know, go for submissions a lot on the ground. And he's, you know, really just become a, st- a low output, you know, boxing, uh, occasional kick type of fighter. He just likes to keep his fight standing, maybe clinch up with you against the fence. But, man, I can't remember the last time Arlovsky had a really good fight. Um, I think his fights are always, you know, typically low output where there are a lot of standing and looking at each other. And, you know, you barely know who won which round. And, you know, I just can't, I can't bet on that, especially at plus 130, man. That's just not enough, not good enough odds. I was, you know, falling, falling victim to the Arlovsky hype train back when he was, you know, two to one over Albini or, you know, plus 140 or, you know, he opened plus 285 against Stefan Struve. So, yeah, I can see betting on him in those situations. But in this spot against Sakai, I don't like it, man. You know, Sakai is not, you know, a world-class heavyweight uh, uh, by any means. He's, you know, a pretty fat heavyweight. He's got a huge gut. He, um, but you know, he, he's primarily a boxer. I'd say he had a, you know, a fairly, fairly close fight with Chase Sherman. You know, Sherman. What I wouldn't say Sherman ever had him hurt. Or Sherman was never really winning. Maybe for a little bit in the first round, Sherman was winning. Um, but you know, Sakai was able to take over that fight late and get the finish in the third round of that fight. You know, Sakai was just, you know, feeling him out in the first round. You know, Sherman was, you know, throwing a lot of strikes and was landing a little bit in the first, you know, 90 seconds, two minutes. But, you know, Sherman did gas out pretty hard in that fight while Sakai was still was still there and was still um, throwing hard in front of him. So, you know, although he's primarily boxing, he, you know, occasionally will throw a, a, a knee in the clinch. He's got a, actually a decent body kick and a decent teep, too. That uh, that le- watch out for that left kick of Sakai. It should be a factor in this one, you know. So, if both of these guys are just boxing with each other at range, man, I, this has split decision written all over it. I expect it to be boring. I expect it to be low output. You know, it, it'll be a, it'll be brutal to watch at some points. But you know, it really comes down to which guy is able to use more offensive tools. I think the guy who's working the low kick, who's working the body kick better, will win this fight. You know, it's gonna. Uh, I think our or. I think Sakai will uh, be the the better boxer in this. I just think that he's, uh, you know, the more active fighter. He looked better in his last fight. He threw with, you know, more ill intent, was way more aggressive. And, you know, it looks like he just hit harder than Arlovsky. You know, I, I really don't remember the last time Arlovsky hit someone really hard. It's probably been like five fights, but... You know, I, I, I just favor Sakai in this one. I'm not, you know, I'm not talking about betting them. I'm not talking about, I'm just, just watch, sit back and watch this one burn in this one. I don't think it'll be a good fight. Um, that's, you know, I think it will go to the decision. Yeah, minus 150. So the people are, are, are thinking it'll go that way as well. You know, honestly, Sakai plus 240 decision. That's not, that's not a bad line. So, uh, you know, staying away from this one in the betting window, but I'm going to pick Sakai to win by decision. Next fight is taking place in the welterweight division. We got Ben Saunders, who is 22-11-2, taking on Takashi Sato, who is 14-2. The opening betting line for this one was Takashi Sato, the minus 165 favorite, to Ben Saunders at plus 125. Right now, over on five dimes, we are seeing Sato at minus 192, Saunders at plus 165. So more action coming in the way of the favorite in Takashi Sato. And, you know, I don't blame people for hopping in the spot against Saunders because, 
Saunders is definitely a declining fighter. He got, you know, pretty brutally knocked out in his last fight against Lyman Good. Uh, you know, his last win was against Jake Allenberger. He finished him with knees to the body in that fight. But he really hasn't looked too good in the octagon lately. He's got that good jujitsu background, or that good jujitsu base, excuse me, to go back on in that rubber guard, 10th planet system. He can, you know, threaten off of his back. He does have one of the, one of the two omoplatas in UFC history. He likes working in the clinch, likes throwing knees in the clinch. That's where he did finish Ellenberger with, like I mentioned. And But that's where he got finished uh, versus Lyman Good. You know, he was hitting Lyman Good with some knees to the body. But Lyman Good said, fuck your knees to the body. I'm throwing uppercuts in this bitch. And, you know, put Saunders down, knock, knocked him down with uppercuts. And then just put him in a coffin with hammer fist. You know, a really brutal knockout that Saunders suffered in his last fight. So, getting on to his opponent. Uh, Takashi Sato making his UFC debut in this fight. <clears throat> uh, a Japanese fighter is fighting most of his fights over in uh, Pancrase. So uh, you know, took a took a good bit of notes in this one. Uh, so I'll just tell you what I saw. He took uh, he fought an opponent with the last name of Franca. Let me figure out his first first name. It's not Hermes Franca. Giaco Franca is the man's name. Um, you know, so he had a real competitive fight with Franca in that one. He uh, he lost the first two rounds of that fight, but then Sato came back and he won the third. And you know, he was very reminiscent of Nick Diaz in that third round, where he would get you against that cage and he just threw like little little pitter patter punches, where he wasn't trying to knock you out. He wasn't trying to you know beat the brakes off you. He was just trying to wear you down with with. Um, long combinations of punches and it did look like Nick Diaz for, for bits and pieces there um, but he uh, unfortunately was he was taken down in the fourth round of that fight and he got rear naked choked by Jaco Franck in that fight but close fight you know uh, that was a that was a, f a title fight five rounds he's not gonna have to go that five rounds uh, those five five rounds in this fight um, so he uh, he then he took on an opponent by the name of Matt Vale in his last fight I believe this fight was also scheduled for five five minute rounds as well um, yes it was oh no it wasn't excuse me three five minute rounds non-title fight main event but uh, he was able to drop Vale with a, a straight left hand in that fight but he was not able to capitalize on it. He was actually taken down shortly after that fight, or sh shortly after he dropped his opponent with the straight left hand. So not much finishing ability from Sato that I saw. Uh, he actually got his back taken by right after he hurt his opponent in that fight. So if he is, you know, giving up his back versus Ben Saunders, you know that that he's going to be playing risky business with uh, with Ben Saunders, who's got that great jujitsu credentials to go uh, to fall back on if he needs to in this fight. So I definitely think Saunders is going to be looking to take this fight to the floor. Um, I think Sato, you know, he does have some good judo throws. He definitely, you know, knows what he's doing on the ground. But I do think he's more. Um, comfortable on the feet he's more comfortable striking at distance um but uh you know he's not very very sound on the feet you know he got dropped by his opponent matt bale uh you know when he got dropped with a left hook in that fight he's a, you know a bit chinny he can be submitted like we saw in the franco fight so uh, I get the people who, who were you know betting on Sa betting against Saunders just because it's Saunders, but man, I don't think that Sato is too too uh, high level of an opponent. I definitely would not trust my money on him at favorite money, especially at minus one ninety. So this is definitely gonna be a dogger pass type of situation. I think this is actually a winnable fight for Ben Saunders. He's definitely not fighting you know uh, you know a, a high level opponent like Lyman Good or um, 
like Sergio Marias in his last two losses, he's fighting a little bit more manageable an opponent in this one. So uh, I expect uh, Sato to come out there looking good, but I think Saunders could make this uh, a dirty, uh, a dirty, not you know, not like dirty in the weird type of way. Um, but you know, he he'll make this fight you know grindy type of fight against the cage. He'll he'll take you down. He'll try to go for those submissions, and I think that he actually might get a submission or might get you know a, a finish for your knee to the body, your knee in the clinch. So. I'm going to pick Saunders in this one. You know, I've always liked the guy. He's a 10th planet guy. He's been in the UFC for a long time. Uh, I'm cheering for him to get the upset in this one. All right, we are moving on to the main card on ESPN+. Plus. We got six fights starting off in the lightweight division. Roosevelt Roberts, who is 7-0, is taking on Thomas Gifford, who is 17-7. Roosevelt Roberts opened up the favorite at minus 245 to Thomas Gifford at plus 175. Right now, we are seeing over on five dimes. Roosevelt Roberts minus 380 to Gifford at plus 315. So a lot of action coming in on the favorite Roosevelt Roberts in this one. Uh, I don't blame people, man. Roosevelt Roberts has looked impressive so far in what we've seen from him. Uh, he picked up a nice victory on the Tuesday Night Contender Series uh, via rear naked choke. And he uh, made his UFC debut last November getting a, a standing guillotine versus Daryl Horcher. Very unorthodox type of choke that he got Horcher with, but it was effective and it got the tap. And it was, uh, you know, showed some real creativity and some risky, uh, the ability to take risks, even in, in his UFC debut against a seasoned guy like Daryl Horcher. So really impressive roosevelt roberts he's got uh he's a real tall and long guy he's uh on the feet he has you know short quick outbursts uh, of offense where he's you know he's waiting he's waiting and then he explodes out with a combo and you know he, his his distance management looks very good he looks confident in it he'll he'll come in and out of the combinations uh very well and uh, you know like i said he looks confident in his defense and in his chin because he's you know He's using that head movement, and he's coming in and out of those combinations. But um, you know, and he he also has a uh, you know very good wrestling. He he likes the body lock takedown. That's how uh, he took down his opponent on the Tuesday Night Contender Series. He's and then he'll he will you know wear you down with ground and pound with top control, and then eventually he will uh, you know his opponent will give up the sub. You know, so he's not you know looking for the sub too early, not looking for submission over position. He's definitely you know wearing his opponents down, ground and pound, and that pressure on top, and then he's forcing his opponents to give up the submission. Now, uh, Thomas Gifford, uh, some, what, making his UFC debut in this one. So, w what we've seen from him on the regionals, uh, um, what I wrote down is he uh, he can be double legged fairly easily. He got taken down in uh, multiple multiple of his fights. Uh, you know, the one that uh, rings a bell was his uh, his most recent loss to Bryant Whitaker, where you know he was just taken down every round of that fight and just held down. Off of it, you know, couldn't get off of his back. Really struggled to get up in that one, and you know that's how most of his losses go. His his second most recent loss, all the way back in 2014, to Omar Zapata. Same same type of uh, fight where he was just taken down and couldn't get off his back, but. His his offensive uh, jujitsu is not bad. A lot, most of his wins actually have come by uh, f finish. Specifically, his most recent uh, four of, uh, four of his most recent five victories have come by way of uh, guillotine or triangle. So he's got good offensive jujitsu, but in terms of defensive jujitsu, he's he's lacking a little bit. So I think that's what's going to get him in a trouble versus Roosevelt Roberts. You know. Uh, 
he uh, and the one thing about Gifford too is on the female, he he engages recklessly. He is not taking calculated risks like Roberts is. Roberts is fighting real smart. He's you know thinking about what he's going to do and he's timing it out. He's getting you know a feel for his opponent and then he explodes with his uh, outburst of offense. But you know Gifford just blitzes in there with his chin up. Uh, his defense does not look very good. And, uh, you know, I, I just think that Roosevelt Roberts will win this fight in the, the striking exchanges, and I think he will win it on the ground, eventually getting the submission sometime around the second or the third round for Roosevelt Roberts in this one. So, tough debut for Thomas Gifford in this one. Uh, I mean, it doesn't really look too UFC level, um, but regardless, it's going to be a tough fight for him, and I'm picking Roberts to get this one done via late submission. Next fight on the main card in the Bantamweight division, we got John Linker, who is 31-8, taking on Corey Sandhagen, who is 10-1. The opening betting line for this one is John Linker, the favorite, at minus 245 to Corey Sandhagen at plus 175. Right now, over on our affiliated sportsbook, Five dimes, we are seeing John Linker minus 140 to Sandhagen at plus 120. So much more action coming in on the underdog Corey Sandhagen in this matchup. I think it's a little bit of a recency bias. You know, uh, Corey Sandhagen has looked, you know, very good lately. Uh, you, you know, he had that incredible come from behind victory versus Yuri Alcantara, where he was uh, he was rocked with a, a couple punches on the feet, and then he uh, was taken down. And he was in a deep, deep armbar. I have no idea how this day, to this day, how he got out of that armbar. I don't think anybody really does. He must be elastic or something like that. So Sandhagen's flexibility and his sub defense, you know, is just off the charts. But he also has, you know, some some good uh, offensive jujitsu of his own. He's got real good striking as well. Um, you know, he has a he's good jab. He's got a nice uh, leg kick. He he likes going to that uh, jab left hook to the body and then uh, following up with the outside leg kick uh he, he's thrown that combination a, a lot a lot of times in his fights recently uh he also likes the left high and the left body kick as well you know we saw in the fight against uh, austin arnett his striking was just on full display in that one he really targets the body you know with his punches uh with his knees and his kicks everything he really you know uh, understands how how detrimental body shots can be to MMA fighters, and he attacks that uh, a lot, you know. So um, Sandhagen also, you know, can hit an offensive takedown of his own. He can, you know, get some submissions if he wants to. He actually, uh, you know, submitted one of his recent opponents, and uh, Mario Bautista in that one, he, you know, showed that he can threaten with multiple submissions chained together with, a, you know, an armbar or a triangle or a guillotine, and he can. He can go from submission to submission until he gets the uh, the submission that he wants, and he's he also has good knees and elbows on the break. So when he comes into those combat uh, into those clinches, he will uh, you know get you on the break with those knees and elbows and that Muay Thai style. So I'm really impressed with Sandhagen, but uh, you know he's fighting a, a staple of the bantamweight division in John Linker. You guys know the deal with John Linker, man. He He's got you know great boxing and pressure and incredible chin, great power. It just keeps his hands low and just you know marches forward. Uh, you know he's got his he's got his own you know his flaws. He doesn't really check leg kicks. He's uh, his takedown defense is not very good. He was you know taken down relentlessly by T.J. Dillashaw in their fight. Uh, you know with you know outside trips relentlessly or. Um, 
And he was also taken down off of a leg kick of his own. But he also took down TJ off of a leg kick as well. So when Sandhagen is, is throwing those leg kicks in this fight, look for Linker to be catching them and try to dump Sandhagen on his back. But, um, you know, Linker is, you know, he's a little one-dimensional. I think his, his game is mostly boxing. It's mostly pressure. Um, and, you know, Sandhagen is just a much more diverse fighter in this point. He, he, I think he's a better kicker. I think he uh, is, you know, the better wrestler. He, he has the better submissions of the two. So I can see why Corey Sandhagen is getting bet down in this fight. And I honestly think that... Um, you know, I was thinking a little bit earlier in the week that it would lean in the way of Linker, but man, I, as I as I take this fight, I'm really liking Corey Sanhagen's chances at pulling off the upset in this one. I just think he has more ways to win this fight, and I think that he can look to uh, you know take Linker down and maybe snatch up a, a submission that way, or he can just use his diverse offensive attack with those leg kicks, those those knees and elbows, the clinch and his his jab and everything, and and look to just outstrike Linker on the feet, man. If Linker does not check leg kicks and Sandhagen is digging into that leg with those those Muay Thai style skip kicks, it's going to be a tough night for Linker. His his mobility is going to be reduced, and he's going to be eating punches from Sandhagen, but. I don't think Sanhagen will uh, knock out uh, Linker. You know, there is a chance he submits him. But I think this one will actually be, you know, uh, just an impressive all-around performance from Corey Sanhagen when, when he will win this fight on the scorecards. And uh, let's look at the odds for, for that because I know that uh, I feel like most people would think this fight isn't going to go the distance because, you know, the clash of styles between the two. And I think Sanhagen has a great chance of winning a decision. So Sanhagen by decision at plus 412. That is definitely something to, to keep an eye on in the, in the prop realm of things. But that being said, I'm going to pick Corey Sanhagen to get the upset victory by decision. Next fight is taking place in the light heavyweight division. We got Glover Teixeira, who is 28 and 7, taking on Ian Kutaleba, who is 14 and 3. The opening betting line for this one was Kutaleba, the minus 135 favorite, to Glover Teixeira, the minus 105 underdog. Right now, we are seeing Kutaleba, the minus 105 underdog, to Teixeira at minus 115. So, a near pick em in this one. This line movement has been going all over the place. You know, Kutaleba actually was down at minus 160, minus 150 for, uh, you know, the past couple weeks. But, the you know, as fight week has approached, you know, money has been coming in on Glover Teixeira. And uh, I, I, I know why, man. I think that... I think that you know, plus money on Glover to share would have been great. I think that uh, this is a really close type of fight because, um, you know, I think both of both guys have uh, have weaknesses, and the other their opponents can capitalize on their weaknesses. They definitely have the the skills and you know the the fighting styles to capitalize on the weaknesses. So, uh, I'd say Kutaleba's weakness is is the the the, the wrestling, and the takedowns, uh, or excuse me, and the the grappling. Uh, realm of MMA, you know, he was taken down by uh, Gazimarov and Tsugulov three times uh, in their last fight, and, you know, Antsugulov is not a good fighter, man, he's desperate, he, he dives for those takedowns, and then he, uh, he does not have much gas, so, good thing that Kutuleva didn't get submitted, he was able to get up from his, uh, from those takedowns all three times, then eventually finish Antsugulov on the feet with some knees and elbows in the first round of their fight, but, uh, you know, in that fight against Misha Sarkunov, you know, Kutaleba was taken down, he was mounted, and guess what? He was arm-triangled in the third round of their fight. Now, why is that significant? How did Glover Teixeira win his last fight? It was via arm-triangle in a fight where 
against Carl Riverson. He was, you know, almost knocked out cold. He got hit with some hard elbows while he was going for the takedown in that fight. It looked like he could have been out cold for a while, but he resurrected from the dead. He got mount on uh, Robertson shortly after he was rocked. Hit him with some ground and pound, and then was able to snatch up that arm triangle submission for the victory. So, you know, just MMA math and things that, man, Teixeira has a good chance to get that same submission as he did, uh, as Serkunov did. And, you know, Serkunov has a guy that Teixeira beat. Teixeira, you know, was able to uh, get him on the mat, was able to take his back and then transition to mount and then pound him out with punches in the mount uh, for the ground and pound TKO in that one. So, Again, if you're looking at MMA math, the, the, the all signs point to Glover Teixeira. So Teixeira is, you know, he's he's got that good boxing fundamentals, but man, he's just getting up there in age. He's getting up there in experience. He's taking a lot of damage, and you know, I just don't think he's very sharp on the feet anymore. He's definitely lost his speed. He's become a little more chinny. He plots forward a little more and doesn't have his good footwork, but he uh, he's he's kind of transitioned to more of a grappling based fighter where you know he's trying to get the takedown he's trying to pound you out with punches or he's trying to submit you so i think that that's what he's going to be trying to do to kutaleba in this fight kutaleba is going to be looking to keep this fight standing but man his takedown defense is not very good and even his striking i don't think is very good either i think he just wings punches for the most off uh he doesn't really have too much you know he doesn't really calculate his offense very well he's kind of just stands in front of you and and wings punches without much technique or you know he did look good in the clinch against antiglulov with those knees and elbows but regardless from that i have not seen much you know clean striking from uh kutaleba so uh, i'm gonna side with the uh, good old T glover to in this one i think that he will get the takedown in this one i think he can you know stall rounds out winning on top i think he could try to get the submission on kutaleba or go for that you know get mountain and just uh, ground and pound kutaleba for a finish so i'm gonna pick glover to get this one done uh via finish as well all right, the next fight takes place in the welterweight division. We have Mike Perry, who is 12-4, taking on Alex Oliveira, who is 26-1. The opening betting line for this one was Alex Oliveira, the favorite, at minus 175 to Mike Perry at plus 135. Right now, over on our affiliated sportsbook, Five Dimes, we see Alex Oliveira minus 175 to Mike Perry at plus 155. So, Two-way action coming in on this fight. Uh, I'd say a little more on Alex Oliveira's way, uh, pushing him from. Uh, actually, no, he was. He's been the same uh, all week at minus one seventy-five. You know, a little bit of early money did come in on him, uh, pushing him down to two to one for a while. But since then, a little bit more action coming in on Mike Perry, and I expect that more action will be coming in on Mike Perry as the fight night gets closer. Um, so, you know, both of these guys are absolute man-man. You know, how can you not be fans of, of both of these guys? Uh, Oliveira is personally one of my favorite fighters on the roster just because he brings it every time, man. He's a fast starter. He goes balls to the wall. He takes risks. He's, he's reckless. He hits hard. He, can, he has good submissions, you know, great kicks. You know, he just is pretty much rarely in a boring fight. You know, Mike Perry... Um, you know he's he, he has the same intentions. You know he wants to go out there and swing and bang, but he he has gotten you know caught up with uh, with uh, more technical strikers uh, lately. You know the Alan Joe Ban laws, the um, even the Max Griffin laws. Max Griffin not really a technical striker by any stretch of the means, but uh, Perry was for the most part outstruck in that fight. He actually got dropped pretty hard by uh, Max Griffin in the second round of their fight. 
And uh, Perry also uh, lost his last fight via submission uh, versus Cowboy. He, for some reason, went for an offensive takedown versus Cowboy, got on top, was swept, and then armbarred by uh, you know the, the superior grappler in Cowboy. So a little bit of an IQ issue in that fight, honestly. But you know Perry is definitely getting smarter. You saw that in the fight against Paul Felder. He was able to you know win his first decision uh, in that fight where he fought you know smart for three rounds. He, you know definitely was still brawling a little bit, but his boxing was on point. He uh, you know he, he's got you know power in both of his hands. He kind of plots forward a little bit. Doesn't really check leg kicks too much, but he. Uh, you know, he, he's definitely a very talented boxer of his own right. Uh, but, you know, Oliveira, you know, he, he just comes forward wild, man. And he, he, he's got power in his, both of his hands as well. His left hand is, you know, a piston. He can drop. He's dropped a lot of his opponents with that left hand. Uh, he's got some good good defensive grappling as well. You know, he defended the uh, the back attack from Gunnar Nelson in round one of their fight where Gunnar had his back tick and the body triangle locked in. But, uh, Oliveira was able to reverse position and get up on top and then smash Gunnar Nelson with some ground and pound and win the first round of that fight. So I really trust Oliveira's sub defense, you know, not thinking that Perry's going to submit him at all. But, um, you know, eventually that fight did uh, technically end by submission. But um, regardless, he, he defended the back take well. Um, so, you know, this fight's going to be a brawl, you know. Uh, you know, Oliveira definitely has the better overall M better MMA game. I think he has more tools on the feet to um, to win this fight with. But you know that brawling type of fight favors Mike Perry. You know Oliveira got into a brawl with Medeiros and he lost. And uh, you know he's he's definitely lost other brawls too. Let's see if I pull up his record and see if I can get some examples of it. You know he 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 came up on top of the brawl with uh, Carlos Condit. He won that fight. He brawled with uh, Gunnar Nelson. And he lost that one. You know he's um, we got triangle by uh, Cerrone, submitted by Burns. But man, yeah, Oliveira has fought you know extremely high level competition. He's come up with some good wins in them. He's definitely fought the better competition than Perry. Um, so you know it's gonna be a, a, a hell of a fucking fight. I really expect it to be entertaining. Um, you know if. Oliveira can hit offensive takedowns of his own and try to win rounds on top. You know, some ground and pound. He did that versus Carlos Condit for a little bit. I think that that would actually be a smart game plan for Oliveira to try to use his grappling in this one to put Perry on his back and to win rounds in the grappling. But I don't think Oliveira fights that way. He does not fight the smart way. He doesn't, you know, he's not going out there with a game plan necessarily. He's not going out there trying to fight the smartest way to make sure he wins the fight via decision, man. He's going out there to fucking fight, and that's what that's what I love about him, man. He he's unpredictable. It, it makes you know betting on him a little bit, uh, um, you know, hectic at sometimes. I don't think I would really bet on his money lines too much because I am a fan of the guy, and he's just so he's unpredictable. He's, uh, you know, I wouldn't say he's too trustworthy either, especially betting on him as a favorite. So. With this fight likely ending up being a brawl, um, with Oliveira definitely having the, the worst chin than Perry, and I think Perry probably hits harder of the two gentlemen as well, man. I, I like Mike Perry's chances in this fight, especially at plus 155 odds. I think I actually probably will lock in a bet at plus 155 pretty soon here on Perry. Just trying to see where the line is going to go. Like I predicted, it will probably go more in favor of Perry. He is a fan favorite. He's more likely to get that action coming on him more towards fight day. So I might have to lock in a play on Perry because I like his chances in the brawl. But uh, I expect I'm just expecting a really good fight in this one, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and pick Perry to win this fight. Um, I'm gonna go by knockout in the second round.
It actually wouldn't surprise me too much though if that fight ended up going to this to the decision, despite the odds being heavily stacked against it going to the cards. I think you know both gentlemen have a chance of canceling one another out and it ended up being a decision. Um, so uh, just keep that in mind. Um, moving on to the co-main event of the evening in the heavyweight division, we have Greg Hardy who is three and one taking on Dmitry Smolyakov, who is nine and two. The opening betting line for this one was. Hardy as the minus 265 favorite to Smolyakov as the plus 185 underdog. Right now, over on five dimes, we are seeing Hardy minus 335 to Smolyakov plus 275. So, uh, much more action coming in on the favorite. Greg Hardy, I do not uh, disagree at all. We got two pretty low level opponents in this one. Uh, you know, Hardy is the, uh, the former NFL star. Um, you know, make his transition over to uh, MMA in the, in the past couple of years, and of course, his you know uh, uh, domestic violence issues made him a big conversation in the sport. Uh, he's pretty much primarily a boxer. He doesn't really have much other uh, skills in MMA. He just comes out there just trying to swang, um, you know, just trying to throw bombs. Besides just throwing haymakers, uh, that's that's really Greg Hardy's pretty much entire game. You know, he doesn't have good footwork. He, you know, especially during exchanges when he gets excited and that adrenaline's going, he does not have that discipline yet where he keeps his feet set and he, you know, he fights smart. Um, you know, he's not very concerned with defense at all. He's, you know, he trusts his chin. He's not, you know, he's not really, he's worried about offense and that's pretty much it. He's not worrying about covering up punches or moving his head too much. He's worried about throwing bombs as I, I've already alluded to. But, um, so he got a, in his fight against Alan Crowder though, his UFC debut, man, what a rough fight that was. Let me tell you, he, uh, you know, he, he looked, uh, he looked like he was gassing a little bit in round one. He uh, was taken down in round two. Um, and then he eventually need his opponent while he was down and, uh, and then, uh, eventually got himself disqualified, losing that fight, giving the victory to Alan Crowder in that one, especially as a big, big favorite in that one. He was like a minus 450 favorite heading into that fight with Crowder. So, uh, I mean, I, I was on Crowder in that fight. I mean, not only did I know that the hype was behind um, uh, Greg Hardy and that alone was worth a bet on the other side as that big underdog, but Crowder had had decent MMA skills. He knew how to hit a takedown. He knew how to, you know, clinch. He knew how to, you know, defense um, on the on the feet. So that's why I was on Crowder in that one. But his op the opponent this time around, Dmitry Smolikov, I honestly think is a little bit worse than Crowder. Uh, he has no technique on the feet, man. This guy, like, he like, he's like, he looks like a kid on the playground who's like, what, what, let's go, come on, you want to fight, come on. Like, they have all this nervous energy, and like, they their arms are flailing, but they're not throwing anything. It doesn't look like they know what they're doing. Their feet aren't set. Like, come on, you, you want to go? Let's go. Um, so that's that's what I got from watching Smalley call fight. When he gets hit, he freaks out and runs away. He he high guards and runs out of there. He he has no defense. You know he he does not look too comfortable in there. Uh, he was he in his fight against who who the fuck was it? He was breathing so hard. Two minutes into this fight, uh, he versus Luis Henrique da Silva. He was breathing so hard. Two minutes into this fight, that his mouthpiece was falling out of his mouth. He was. He was on the ground, and the fucking mouth guard was coming out. He was on the feet. His mouth guard was coming out. He was <gasps> so hard that the that the mouth guard was just flying out of his mouth. 
um, you know, just absolutely hilarious. You could see his stomach. You could see it, like the huge huff and puff airs that that are breaths of air that he was trying to take in that fight after you know just a few minutes of fighting he eventually lost that fight via rear naked choke so in terms of defensive grappling smolikov really doesn't look like he's knowing what he's doing at all he he gets stuck in mount he can't elbow escape he can't get off his back you know he can't stuff a takedown he got he, he gets stuck in the turtle position he taps the chokes right away he hasn't he also hasn't fought in the ufc in 28 months uh, his last loss would come in uh, via uh, ground and pound TKO to Cyril Asker. He was just stuck in mountain that one, couldn't get out, and got uh, ground and pound finished. He did take a fight recently, though, in Russia, where uh, apparently he won by Kimura. There is no video of this fight. Um, we don't know how long the fight lasted, uh, but we do know that his opponent, uh, this guy, Evgeniev Bulva, I watched one of his fights just to get a sense of what he was like, and he's, you know, a total bum. No skill at all in MMA. Just a, you know, uh, a bouncer or something like that from the Ukraine who's fighting uh, over in Romania or some shit like that. So uh, don't hold that win in too high regard at all. I honestly think that Smolnikov was being brought in, in, in here as a lamb for slaughter for Greg Hardy. They looked at Greg Hardy's last fight and they said, holy shit, we need to get this guy a win. We gave him the, what we thought was the worst heavyweight on the roster in Crowder and he still lost we gotta go and recruit a worse heavyweight than uh, Crowder and we gotta bring him in here so we can get Hardy to win they look through the database they say oh remember that guy Smolikov remember how bad he sucked he came in here and he lost two fights right away let's get him back in there uh, that's what they did. They, they so they brought in Smolikov. He's now facing Hardy in this co-main event, and it's a, it's a fucking travesty that this is co-main event. You know, a lot of the times it doesn't really matter, but you know, you're taking the spotlight away from hard hard-earned fighters who, who you know earn their spot uh, to to be in a co-main event. Mike Perry and Alex Oliveira deserve to be in a co-main event. They've put they've you know had they put their time in the regionals. They had success in the UFC, up and downs in the UFC. They're extremely exciting fighters. You know, these guys, you're basically having two inexperienced big heavyweight bums who you're you're hoping they come in and they swing it out and it's a quick finish for Greg Hardy, but it could turn into a slot fest real fast, just like that Alan Crowder fight did. So I'm picking Greg Hardy to win this one. I think he will spark a Smolikov in the first round, uh, but, you know, not expecting much from this fight. In the main event of the evening, we got in the middleweight division, Ronaldo Jacare Souza, who is 26 and 6, taking on Jack the Joker Hermanson, who is 19 and 4. The opening betting line for this one was Jacare minus 175 to Hermanson plus 135. Right now we are seeing Souza minus one, or excuse me, minus 210 to Hermanson at plus 175. What an intriguing main event in this one. Uh, it was a short notice uh, replacement fight for Jack Hermanson. It was supposed to be the rematch between Jacare and Yoel Romero, but Romero was forced to pull out due to who knows what. And uh, Hermanson, just coming off that fresh uh, arming guillotine victory over David Branch um, back in Philadelphia on March 30th, comes in uh, four weeks later and is taking on uh, Jacare in this fight. So I expect ja Hermanson to be in shape. <clears throat> you know, I think that uh, I think that their cardios will be will be fairly evenly matched. You know, because Jacare knew he was training for that five round fight um, for a little bit while, longer than Hermanson did. But 
but Hermanson, um, you know, preparing back-to-back three-round fights, I expect his cardio to be in really good shape. And, uh, you know, I think he will have, uh, Hermanson will have the better cardio if this fight gets into the third, fourth, fifth round. So that'll be something to consider um, if this fight gets into those deeper rounds. Jacare does tend to fade a little bit. Um, we we have not seen him in the championship rounds, I don't think, in, in the UFC ever, maybe. Is that true? Um, you know, he has been scheduled for his fair share of main events. But I, don't, I believe he has never went the five-round uh, distance in the UFC. He definitely did back in... Uh, strike force, um, but uh, I do not think he has any. Yeah, Luke Rockhold, Tim Kennedy, you know, he did, he went to the five rounds with those guys, but yeah, not in the UFC. So uh, I don't expect this one to go to the decision either. Uh, but if I do, but if it does, I think that Hermanson, his cardio edge will will hold uh, will be big. Uh, but it, it, but if cardio becomes a factor in this fight, if Jacare does gas out in that third round, I think Hermanson has a better chance at finishing him in the fourth or fifth rounds than I do of uh, Hermanson winning by decision. So let's, let's start with Hermanson. He's got, you know, real quick, unorthodox striking. You know, he's jolting in and out. He's real light on the feet. He comes in and he thwacks you with a leg kick. Uh, he, he doesn't have much in the boxing realm of things, but, you know, his movement... Uh, it's just it's hard to time, man. You know, for a guy who's a counter puncher like Jacare, who you know in his last fight had Weidman, who was willing to stand and trade right in front of him, it's going to be a different story this time. Hermans is going to be moving all around. He's going to be bouncing in and out. He's going to be hard to hit, and Hermanson also has you know just great ground game, man. He's got great great uh sub defense you know we saw that the talus latest fight third degree black belt talus latest had him in some deep submissions some some guillotines or i mean uh some uh head and arm chokes uh i forget what else maybe a darce choke as well he had him in some deep deep submissions and hermanson did not tap and he fought his way out of that with the fucking broken rib too you know the dude is just tough as they come and if he gets on top of you his top control and his ground and pound is insane, man. The be- he calls himself the best ground and pound in the UFC, and it's hard to disagree with him, man. He's gotten some some vicious ground and pound uh, victories in the past. Most recently over Talos Latis, the ground he smashed um, Gerald Mishart with ground and pound, eventually opened up the submission in that one. And in his last fight against Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt, Henzo Gracie Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt, uh, Dave Branch, he whipped Joe B- uh, Branch to the ground. It wasn't even like a traditional wrestling takedown. He literally just like spun him in a circle so fast that he took him down, got side control on him, wrapped up that arm and guillotine, and tapped um, Dave Branch in you know 40 seconds. He just ran through Dave Branch, you know? So... The momentum is, I think, definitely on Hermanson's side in this one. You know, he's picked up three finishes in a row uh, over, you know, really good competition. He is, uh, you know, he's taking this fight on short notice. He's, you know, excited for the opportunity. Jacare, on the other hand, I think he's a little bit frustrated. I think that he, you know, has wanted that UFC title shot forever. He's been winning and winning, and then he has a setback, and then he, you know, racks up three or four more wins. But he's always fell short of that UFC title shot. And, you know, he wants that title shot bad. He says that if I keep winning fights and I'm not getting a title shot, you know, I'm out of here. I think he said until the end of the year, if I don't get one, then, then I'm done. So, uh, I mean, I understand where the guy's coming from. You know, it, it must be frustrating. 
um, because the middleweight division has been on hold for so long. You know, you had the whole uh, uh, Bisping versus GSP thing for a while. Then uh, Whitaker was injured, and then Romero fights, and you know the the constant uh, Whitaker injuries. And you know the, the middleweight title has had a lot of interim titles lately. It's been very frustrating for Jack Ray, and he's been left out for all of, all of that. So he's definitely got to be frustrated at this point in his career. Um, and he's vocally said that, so there's no doubt about that. But I do not think that's going to take away from his, his motivation. I think he's still going to come in here, you know, the Jacare that we all know and love. He's, you know, I think one of the best middleweights of all time. Um, you know, top three, top five middleweights of all time. You know, Anderson Silva, um, Luke Rockhold, uh, Gegard Mousasi, uh Jacare. You know, th these guys are the best middleweights of all time for sure. And, uh, you know, Jacare has wins over some of those guys as well. So, uh, you know, he, of course, he's got the great jujitsu pedigree. He doesn't really use it much lately. You know, I, he has gotten some submissions, you know, over, you know, fucking Chris Camozzi for, or Tim Bosch or something like that. I don't really count those those submissions as too, too highly. You know, those guys are low-level grapplers who were just pretty much ran through by Jacare. Um, and, you know, he wasn't wasn't able to submit uh, Kelvin Gastelum in their fight, you know, um, he was able to take down the UL Romero in the third round of their fight, though. So, you know, Jacare, he, he, he can hit takedowns. He, uh, you know, he's got that great jiu-jitsu pedigree. He's more of a submit, a position type of guy. So if he takes you down, he will just wear you out with position instead of going for submissions necessarily. And Jacare is just making improvements in his boxing. You know, his, his boxing has gotten tremendously better in the past year or so than it ever has been before. And it's just his entire striking, you know. He head-kicked jo uh, Derek Brunson eventually getting the knockout in that one he uh he was hitting uh chris weidman with those overhand rights to the head and then digging that left hook to the body he uh he, he was showing some some high guard some head movement working on his boxing defense versus weidman uh, you know, and Jacare has got, you know, a really, really good chin. You know, he's only been rocked by a few people. He's been dropped by Kelvin, by got knocked out by Whitaker. He got dropped by Romero by that spinning back fist. But he's got a hell of a chin on him. I don't think Hermanson will have much luck at penetrating that chin of Jacare. It's just going to be hard for 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 Jack, for Hermanson for on paper for him to win this. You know, on paper you'd never think that he'd be able to submit Jacare because Jacare is a much higher belt. Uh, you know, much more jiu-jitsu experience, um, and, you know, uh, it's going to be hard for, for Hermanson to test that chin of Jacare just because he's so uh, so tough. He's got, you know, good boxing defense. Uh, it's going to be a tough fight for Hermanson to win, but, you know, just something about the momentum of these guys is leading me to believe that Hermanson is going to pull it off. You know, there, there's nothing, nothing made sense about him whipping Dave Branch down to the canvas and arming Guillotine in the black belt in, you know, 30, 40 seconds. You know, that, that fight didn't make sense. You know, that he, the dude is going out there. He's doing, you know, some pretty crazy shit out there in the octagon. And I just, you know, I'm, I'm siding with Hermanson's momentum in this one. I think the dude just finds he has a will to win. You know, that fight against Tass Latis, 95% of the roster would have quit in those situations. They would have tapped to those chokes with a broken rib. You know, but not Jack Hermanson. Jack Hermanson, you know, the, one of the toughest guys on the roster. I think that he is going to be hard to put away for Jack Ray in this one. I think if the fight stays standing, then uh, 
then Jacare does have a good chance at you know outboxing Hermanson, uh, but her, you know, her, like I said, Hermanson's not there to be hit too much. I think Hermanson's going to be trying to make this fight, you know, uh, in clinch, a lot of scrambles, you know, go for takedowns, try to snatch up a sub in transition, and you know, I, I just slightly slide with Hermanson. You know, even though, like I said, even though on paper everything leads you to believe that Jacare should come out of this fight the winner. And I've seen like, way, way more people on Jacare this week than I have Hermanson. Uh, there's just something that, that's leading me to believe that Hermanson will pull it off. Um, you know, he's had this this huge resurgence from his career in the past year, picking up those three finishes in a row. And uh, he's looking to make it uh, four this, this weekend versus Jacare. So I don't know how Hermanson's going to get it done. I'm going to be, uh, you know, I'm going to go against the grain and say that Hermanson will be, will submit Jacare in this fight. Sounds crazy. You know, Jacare, the sixth degree jujitsu black belt, but... I don't know. Hermanson, man, is just impressive. I, I've been super impressed with him. Uh, really enjoyed watching his last three fights. And, you know, that's definitely coming in a little bit to me making this pick. I'm not, uh, I mean, I, I enjoyed the hell out of Jacques Ray's most recent fights, though. That Kelvin fight, I thought he won. Um... Rounds one and three of that fight, I thought that uh, you know he won rounds two and three versus Romero. I thought that uh, you know he, he he looked great knocking out Brunson. He looked great knocking out uh, Weidman. You know the dudes look terrific lately. I think that these are two you know high high level middleweights that are colliding into each other at you know some of the best times in their career. I really can't look wait for this matchup, and I'm picking the Joker to get it done. I'm gonna go by fourth round submission. So that's going to do it for the UFC Sunrise preview. Uh, we have uh, we analyzed and predicted all 13 fights going down this Saturday night in Sunrise, Florida, starting at 5.30 p.m. The prelims, then the ESPN prelims start at 7 and the main card on ESPN Plus at 9 p.m. So with that being said, we're just going to quickly recap the UFC Russia card that went down this past weekend like we do at the end of every March at MMA podcast. Starting things off, Magomed Mustayev spinning back kick knocked out uh, Rafael Fizeev in 90 seconds into the the first round of this fight. You know, incredible performance in Mustafaev coming off that two year layoff. Um, you know, and Fizeev looked a little tentative in there, and Mustafaev made him pay. So uh, nice performance there. Oleg Chetuk and Antagulov just a hilarious fight there. Antagulov desperate as fuck with the takedowns, but Bacall was hitting him with those punches, rocking him, uh, dropping him three times, eventually getting the finish in that one. Shamil Abdurminikov finishing Martian Tybura in the second round of this one. Tybura looked terrible in this fight. Abdurminikov looked good, was hitting him with some boxing, and eventually finished him with some punches in this one. Uh, Yakalaya versus Leko de Silva, a uh, competitive back and forth fight. I think Silva had the the uh, advantage early on. Looked like he was winning the fight, but then uh, looked like he maybe gassed out a little bit. Yakalaya reverse position and he got the submission in this one. Next fight, Sultan Aliyev uh, beat Kira Nakamura three rounds to zero. Just pits the shutout in that one. Kira looked pretty bad. Uh, most of our Ivalev, uh winning that fight via, I think he had a point taken. Yeah, um, yeah illegal knees in round two. He needed an opponent uh, down. Um, but he won that fight three rounds to zero. Actually, I think he won 10-8 um, one round. Don't remember which one, though. Looked very impressive in that fight. Christoph Jocko, you know, beat the living shit out of uh, Alan Abedovsky in this one. Um, you know, just 30-25, 30-26 type of fight. 
Uh, Roxanne Matafari beat Antonia Shevchenko. You know, great fight from her coming through as the big underdog. She was able to, uh, Shevchenko came out looking good in round one. Uh, Lighten Matafari up on the feet win in that round. Matafari was able to get the takedown in round two, win the second round. Round three, Shevchenko uh, started to look good on the feet again, started winning the round. Then it ended up on the uh, on the ground. Uh, Shevchenko was on top, you know, looking like she was on her way to winning that third round. But Matafari was able to reverse position with the sweep and then get on top for the rest of the round, winning that third round, two rounds to one. Just a great fight, you know, down to the wire type of fight. Uh, you know, very happy to see Roxanne pick up that victory in that one. I let you all down with my pick of Marcelo Gome. He got knocked out in 66 seconds. The, the, the fight night global Polovich was back. You know, we, we were not counting on that. We were counting on the Alistair Overeem Polovich to show up in this fight. But no, the fight night global guy showed up and he smoked uh, Golem in one round. Makachev and Tartukian had a, a very competitive back and forth grappling fight. You know, real pleasure to watch in that one. Uh, but like like uh, we predicted, Makachev was just a step ahead the entire fight um, in the grappling exchanges. And Alistair Overeem defeating Alexi Olenek via knees and punches. You know, Olenek was looking desperate for cl- trying to close the distance in this fight, but Overeem was just smashing him with knees over and over again. Olenek was not successful in his guard pu- uh, pulls or you know any attempts to get that uh, that Ezekiel choke, and eventually Alistair Overeem made him pay with knees in that fight so you know very impressive performance from Overeem and you know it was a very solid car from top to bottom and uh, that's going to do it for the podcast this week we broke down all 13 fights and we recapped UFC Russia from last week so that's going to be all for episode 58 of the Martian MMA podcast and we'll be back next week before the UFC card going down in Ottawa Canada I'll see you guys next week peace